morning. Hey, I, uh, so I was thinking this week uh, through my uh, preparations for speaking this morning, I was uh, just thinking about, actually, I'll just ask you the question, have you ever kind of thought back on your life or looked back on, on kind of the map or the footsteps or whatever you would use to visualize, you know, kind of where your life has taken you? And, and have you ever kind of looked at it and said, you know, um, yeah, that exactly follows if I could have scripted my life and written a plan for my life. I have followed it and I've, I've kept right on course. <laughs> if I look at my life, I think, wow, it is so different than if I had actually um, written a plan for myself. I, I, I sometimes talk to people and when I'm talking with them, you know, I, I say, you know, one thing I discovered over my lifetime is that I have had, and I today I also say, I've got a good life. God has given me a really good life. But I did not know that there were going to be so many painful things along the way in my life. And, and uh, I didn't know that there were going to be uh, very long-lasting uh, implications to some of the choices that I made, some of the things that I did. I, I, think, of, uh, I think of my memory that uh, I, I, had, I had a number of concussions, all of them because of stupid things that I did when I was in school, and, and now it affects my memory. In fact, I pulled out a book the other day. I've, I've been wanting to read it for quite some time, and I, it's an apologetics book, and I said to Adeline, I'm finally today, I'm going to crack her cover, and I'm going to start reading this book. And she says, I thought you read that one already. <laughs> and so I went downstairs, I opened it up, and in the introduction, there's yellow lines, highlights, and I thought, oh, shoot. <laughs> I've been here before. <laughs> I don't know if that happens to you, but uh, it happens to me on a regular basis. Depression's been part of my life. I did not, I would not have written that into my story, uh, but it's been part of my life since 1988. You know, my decision to become a pastor, it actually grew, it actually flowed out of um, actually my experience in the first church, the church that I actually was really born into. And... Uh, the, the, my first experiences of church, because it was a very unhealthy, it was a very dysfunctional place. I had a few really great leaders who helped me to keep on you know, moving forward in faith, but I, I had such a very bad experience because it was harsh, it was hypocritical. People did not live what they said that Scripture taught. And so while I was hearing the right things, the experience that I saw, and, and even in our family, how it impacted our family in some really devastating ways. I just about walked away. But God called me back into ministry, and he, and he said to me, he called me back to, to lead from within. And so that's what I've been doing for the rest of my, uh, I guess, my career journey so far. You know, when, when things are going well, it's easy to celebrate, isn't it? But when the pressure is on... Boy, that really is the time that we can begin to see that that's who we are going to become is really written when the pressure is on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to just ask you, Holy Spirit, uh, just would you, would you fill the words that I've been working on through this week? Uh, would you help me to communicate them well? But Holy Spirit, would you just uh, speak into minds and hearts as you choose, as Jesus would choose. Uh, 
that as we walk through this story in the book of Acts, that some of the things that faced the church that day and those days, Lord, they're really relevant for today. And so may we be able to take encouragement and also accept challenge that you bring into our lives because of this. In your name, Jesus, amen. So two questions I want to ask ourselves today. Individually, what if you are looking forward from today, what will my story look like? And then for us as a body together, because I don't think that we can really think of ourselves, if we want to really be healthy believers, uh, as we've been reading through the book of Acts, it's almost impossible to disengage ourselves as being Christian without being family, without being part of the body of Christ. And so my question is also to us as a church, and that is what will our story look like? You know, Luke has been recording just one amazing amazing story after another and and it's incredible and the church begins and it moves and God's working in power and then suddenly we come to this chapter chapter 12 and we're going to see how the church responded when it was placed under pressure now last week Brad Cowie used a great illustration about chess and concluded that in God's game of chess pawns are just as important as the power pieces now I am I play chess, but I'm a really lousy chess player. And, and Brad said that chess masters can, they can actually see many moves in the future on the chessboard, um, unless they're playing somebody like me who doesn't follow any of the rules. You see, I usually can see just the move that I'm working on right now. And maybe what's going to happen as the, side, as the collateral damage of what I do. And I love the queen because she can move everywhere. So I love using the queen. But usually I lose my queen within a couple of moves in the game because I do stupid things. You know, sometimes in chess we lose those power players. And today we're going to look at how the church responded when two of their power players were taken out of the match. And I hope today is going to give a couple of tools or reminders and some encouragement when the pressure's on. So I'm going to start with the text here. It starts in chapter 12, verse 1, if you want to follow along. It's on the screen as well. It's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter's also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Peter was kept in prison. The first point for me that jumps out in this story is that following Jesus comes at a cost. Now Herod Agrippa I, who was the Herod at this time, he was the third of three really evil King Herods. He was set up as a puppet king by Rome, and he ruled over most of the territory of, of Israel as it was known at the time and also over a wider area that was under the, under the Gentile uh, areas. And he maintained his position in Israel, in, in, in Judea especially, by placating the Jews, by keeping them happy. And so they tolerated him. And so Herod had the apostle James killed. And when he saw that the Jews liked that because they hated the Christians, he decided to go after Peter, who was the main leader of the church at the time, and he imprisoned Peter, planning to kill him, right after the festival that they were celebrating. And of course, 
read and we're going to read further down. God intervened and he intervened powerfully. But I'm going to get to that in a little bit. The story somehow just doesn't seem fair to me though, especially for James. Like why would God let one of Jesus' closest friends die and why would he save another one? I'm sure that the church prayed just as hard for James' release as they prayed for Peter's release. But God intervened in two very different ways. And here's the thing. I think that's because the story is not about James. And it was not about Peter. I don't know if this is going to sound too harsh, but here it goes. Although every one of us is absolutely significant... And to a person, we are deeply loved by God. None of us is central to what he's doing. None of us are central to what God is doing. We are part of an immense drama that God has been playing through all of human history. And it is his story of of redemption. And it's interesting that Jesus had predicted that both James and Peter were going to suffer for their their faith and they were going to both give their lives for the sake of their gospel. And I don't think at the time either one of them had any idea of how deep the cost was going to be when Jesus said that to them. And you know, this is the last, this text is the last time that we see Peter in his role as a leader in the Jerusalem church. At the end of the text, it says, and Peter went to another place. And Peter kept on continuing to share the gospel. And we see him coming up, cropping up in the church in Galatia. And he probably was working in Corinth as well. And then later on, he does come back to Jerusalem. And he's part of a Jerusalem council to help the uh, church decide how how to kind of flow with this mixing of the Jews and the Gentiles within the church. But in the leadership of the Jerusalem church, this is the last time Peter is on the scene. And so what happened? Well, the church carried on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he said, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But... Whoever loses his life for me will find it. As I look around the landscape today, there there are things that concern me. One thing that really concerns me in our society today is there is a radical polarization going on. And one of the lightning rods in in the recent past was the court case of Trinity Western University and their their plans to start a law school on their campus, it went to the Supreme Court and they lost, they lost the decision at the, the Supreme Court because of gender issues and because of the incre- incredible and intense pressure that is now becoming very polarizing in our society regarding gender issues. I'm concerned about spiritual drift as I see our young adults and our youth A few weeks ago at our uh, district conference, our leadership shared about some of the information and statistics about youth and young adults that are leaving the church because they're not finding the church to be relevant. They're not finding church to be relevant. They are looking 
And they're asking hard questions. And so that concerns me. Not the questions. It concerns me that they're drifting. Another concern that I have is the attitude of the church as a part of being part of our own like feel-good program. You know, that we come to church to see if it's going to be pleasing and if I hear something good and if somebody's nice to me and says hi to me. And rather than us looking at church as the body of faith that God has called us into, the place where we will give each other, we will encourage each other to stand to have courage, to find strength together to face the battles of life that we face individually, but also the challenges that we face together. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that, I believe the Spirit is here, and I believe Jesus is the leader of our church, and I believe that he is doing and has done great things here, but I also believe that there's always going to be more. There is always going to be more for us as a church. And I also believe that God rewards both the things that we give and he rewards the things that we give up for him. In this story, James gave up his life. And Peter continued to give his life. And in our lives, in, a, in our family life as a church, God is going to reward the things that we're willing to let go and give up. And he's going to reward the things that we're willing to give for his kingdom. Pastor Ray Dirksen said, salvation is free, but following Jesus, that's going to cost you your life. When we began our journey into changing hearts and changing lives, Pastor Ray Dirksen, who was the one who kind of founded the, the movement of church renewal, it's nothing new. It's discipleship with kind of a new color fitting into our context and our times. But as he began this journey with his church, God was calling him to a change, a very, very profound change. And the church that he was pastoring at that time was a church that was a good church, but spiritually it was cold. In fact, they did not, they did not believe at that time that the spiritual gifts that are outlined in the New Testament were actually relevant and were actually in power for today. And so as he was praying and planning and to share his vision with the church, he had two fears. One of his fears was he was going to lose his job. <laughs> and the second fear that he has was that the church was going to split, that this was going to cause division. And praise God, neither of those two things happened. In fact, that church, that church became a church on fire. And the change that happened in that church has spread widely, first throughout the area around the church, then throughout Canada, and now it's spreading globally. It's exciting. And, and it has prompted us to jump into that journey ourselves. And we've been sharing some of that journey. We're going to keep on sharing more. In fact, there was a group of leaders being in, in a training session this morning, getting ready for our steps into hearing God the, the six-week journey that we're going to take together and uh, life group leaders getting trained and getting ready. I'm excited for what's ahead for us. But you know what? It comes with costs. And I don't have time to expand on, the, on how these costs are all going to work out, but following Jesus is going to cost us individually and as a body. It might cost us change. Many of us don't like change. It might cost us pride. You know what? I, I struggle with pride. 
I, I'd like to, in fact, sometimes I project to people that I'm, I, I don't, but if you really know me, you know that I do struggle with pride. Uh, we might be challenged in just our courage to stand strong for our faith, even when we stand alone. Or we might be looking at freedom issues or finances or the cost of our reputation or being marginalized by the society around us, by people around us who will not accept the message of truth, even though it's shared in love. We might even experience the cost of challenges to our safety. But you know what? I think that cost helps us to decide what is most valuable to us. You see, God will reward the things that we will give, and he will reward the things that we will give up for him. So moving on, what do we do when the pressure's on? Well, after all the growth and the great successes that the church in Acts has been experiencing, it must have been a great shock to them when King Herod arrested James and some other believers, and he had some of them killed. James was killed, and then Peter was arrested as well. And what a profound shift from the successes that they'd been experiencing. I want to just share briefly about two responses uh, that we can have when the pressure is on. First of all, King Herod's response. Well, when things didn't go well, King Herod's response, <laughs> he got up that morning and his advisors told him, because he said, hey, bring in Peter. And they said, well, he's, he's gone. <laughs> and his response was rage and anger and blaming it on someone else and the 16 soldiers who had been assigned to guard Peter in the prison were all executed because of his anger and his rage. So that's one response to pressure. Not my recommended one, but uh, the other one is the church's response. Luke says this. He says, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. I believe that prayer or the lack of it is the truest measure of how much we really trust in God and of who is really leading the decisions that we make in our lives. Prayer is a conduit. Prayer is a conduit into the presence and into the power of God. And prayer is also unifying and empowering. And the text says that they were earnestly or they were fervently praying. Well, what is, what is fervent or earnest prayer? I, I think we have some clear instructions that Jesus gives us as he taught about prayer. The first one is prayer involves worship. It starts with worship. Jesus, when he was instructing his disciples in sharing and teaching them the Lord's Prayer, he began by saying, Heavenly Father, or Father in Heaven, or it could even be the, uh, interpreted as, as Good Father, Kind Father. Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I started praying that as a regular part of my prayer time a number of months ago. Just to kind of, because when we, when we worship God, what it does is it reorients our focus. It takes our focus off of ourselves and off of our problems and off of our issues, and it places our focus on the person 
who has all of the capacity, who has all of the power, who has no restrictions. It has the capacity to orient our lives, and it actually enables us to have and to feel gratitude, to feel joy, and actually to feel peace right in the middle of major storms in life. This story of Peter, and I won't read all the text, but we find Peter, the day before he's going to be executed, what is he doing? He's lying there with his hands shackled to two soldiers asleep when the angel comes. In fact, when the angel came, he had to whack him on the head to wake him up, to get him out of the prison. He just experienced that kind of peace. In fact, I'm sure he thought, I'm going to die tomorrow. It's okay. I get to see Jesus. The second thing I believe that we experience in prayer is we experience the act of submission. Jesus taught, your kingdom come, your will be done. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, you know, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Basically, what he was saying was, Father, I don't want to die tomorrow. Can we work it out another way? But he knew that he couldn't. So the next step, next words that he said were, not my will, but your will. That must have been an excruciating, excruciating time. In fact, Luke, as he described it, he describes that Jesus sweat drops. It was like drops of blood as he was praying because he was praying through and he knew that what he was going to very shortly be doing was wearing and carrying all of the weight of all of the sin of all of humanity on his shoulders alone without his father. But even knowing that, he said, no, not my will. Your will be done. I re- Isaiah wrote of God, he said, these are God's words, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, submission recognizes that God has got the full picture and we don't. It helps us to remember that God is God and we're not. And it protects us from the temptation to strive on our own and think that we're doing it. The third thing about fervent prayer is it's perseverant. The church that was meeting in that upper room was praying in the middle of the night when Peter came to them. And I'm sure that they must have been praying day and night right from the time that Peter was arrested And I also believe that they had been praying just as hard for James and the others who had been arrested and killed by King Herod. You know, in James chapter 1, James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. You know what? God will never do something to us that is unloving because he is love. And at the same time, God is far more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. And if we will tune our ears in and if we will listen to the Spirit, he will guide us. You know, and sometimes God says yes, and when God says yes, we can stop praying. And sometimes God says, my yes is coming, but keep on praying. Then keep praying. And sometimes God says no, 
And if he is clear, we can stop praying for that, believing that he's got something else good in mind. And sometimes, this is the hardest one for me, sometimes God is silent and he doesn't answer us right away. He's building our character. Keep praying. If we pray, he will answer and he will guide. He's promised us that he will do that. And then fourthly, in prayer, we can ask believing. We can ask believing. Jesus invites us to ask for prayer. In fact, he said to his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So, question that comes to my mind is, does this mean that we can pray anything that we want and Jesus will do it for us? Is he like our prayer supermarket? No. What does he mean? Well, during Jesus' ministry, he lived and he ministered under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did that so that when he promised and then he gave us the Holy Spirit, we would know that we too can access his power and his authority through the Spirit. And so when we pray, and we can pray, we pray through the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that he prayed through. And we can ask Jesus to do what he chooses to do when we pray. And when we do that, he will respond. Because really what we're asking him to do is to do his will. And as we follow and as we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and to shape us so that our lives become more and more like Jesus, the Spirit's responses to us will become more clear. And the guidance that we receive will fit us better because we are learning to live in Jesus' name. We are learning to live through the power of Jesus. In fact, Paul says, it's the, actually the life and the power of Jesus that lives through me into the world and other people. God might respond to our prayers differently than what we might be thinking when we pray, but we can believe that he will respond and it will be good. And you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives a very direct word of what God plans to do. What do we do then? Well, then we pray boldly. I was reading recently uh, the CMA production from our national office, and our president, David Hearn, shared in a recent uh, update about an experience that he had, together with his wife, Agnes, sitting on a floor in a church in Chilliwack, talking with a couple who had young children, and, and the wife was sharing with them that she was in stage four breast cancer. For those of you that know about breast cancer or might be survivors of breast cancer, stage four breast cancer usually means terminal and fairly soon. And he said, fear was present and we were experiencing it. He writes, at that moment I sensed an inner boldness rising within me and a strong confidence in God's power to heal and we brought Wendy without hesitation into the presence of our healer. And he says, a strong song came to me. And the words of the song were, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And he sang that song. And he prayed and they prayed. And three months later, Wendy contacted him to give him an update to say that most of the cancer sites, because it had spread, it had metastasized through her body, most of the sites were now clean of cancer. But the biggest areas... They were not gone, but they had been shrinking. 
And so they continued to pray. And then a few months later, Dave said that he met Wendy and her family in the Cusp, B.C., as he was speaking at a conference. And at the end, Wendy and her family all came up to him. She shared with him, Dave, I, while they say that I still technically have cancer, there's not a sign of it in my body. She says, the doctors have been saying, suggesting that it might be a miracle. <laughs> okay. You know what? Our pray, our, sorry, our task is praying and trusting. And God does all of the rest. You know, I believe that God is calling us individually and together as his church with everything that comes into our path to come to him praising and depending and believing. And he will respond in amazing ways. And I believe that one day in heaven, God is going to reveal to us how our, our prayers on our own and also together as a church, how those prayers were effective and powerful. And I also believe that he's going to show us some of the things that he could have or would have done at times when we didn't come to him in prayer. God will respond. God is good. He has good plans for us. And then thirdly, there's a clash of two kingdoms here. What happens when God does show up in power? The text goes on, the night before, Herod was going to bring him to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound by two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, quick, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second gates and guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by itself in front of them, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter said to himself, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. <laughs> when God shows up in power. On the one side, we see Herod's vain attempt. You know, this was not Peter's first time in prison. Earlier in chapter 5, all of the apostles had been arrested and placed into jail. But an angel of the Lord had opened the doors of the jail and they had all walked back out and all walked right back into the city square and started preaching all over again. And I'm sure that Herod knew all about Peter's first time in jail. And so he had 16 guards, four shifts of four men watching Peter so that it was not going to happen again. It was not going to happen under his watch. He did everything within his power to ensure that he would control the situation. And then God showed up. <laughs> Two kingdoms clashing in battle. Herod represented all of the power of human force driven by the demonic and the twisted power of the demonic world. And human and enemy forces, impossible circumstances, no matter how overwhelming things are, 
we see that they are absolutely no match against the power of God and the power of Jesus. Satan's control was broken in Jesus' victory on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. And Jesus' declaration at the start of his ministry is in full force today. And he said, as he stood up to speak in front of the Jewish leaders, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, that was the ministry that Jesus came for. That was the ministry that he handed over to his apostles, his disciples. And that's still his ministry for us today. A few months before we hosted the Soul Care Conference this spring, I was talking with Doug Balster. Now, Doug and his wife, Terry, lead Soul Care con conferences across Canada, and they led our conference here. And as we were talking, Doug commented, and he said, Rod, God doesn't tell us when or how he's going to show up when we do the Soul Care Conference. He said, so we just plan for it, and he shows up. <laughs> God doesn't tell us how he's going to show up. We just plan for it, and he shows up. You know, during the conference, we witnessed the power of Jesus. We witnessed people being freed, set free from bondage. We saw spiritual strongholds that were broken. We witnessed physical, emotional, and spiritual healings that took place that day. We've seen it happening here in our church. It happens here in the front as people come up for prayer. In your own homes, in life groups. When God shows up, he's got unlimited power. And we see the response of the church. How did they respond? Well, they were astonished. It says, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Many were, sorry, where many were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. <laughs> You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept on insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. They believed in guardian angels, and actually Jesus teaches a little bit about guardian angels. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. And then Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. He described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the brothers about this, he said. And then he left for another place. <laughs> so first of all, like this, I'm sure that when, when Luke was talking with Peter because Luke got a lot of his content from Peter and Peter probably said to him, you know, Luke, you, you could write a book. <laughs> In fact, maybe you should write too. And he said, I might be good for a letter or so, but man, you know, and when you're writing, he says, don't forget this story. Remember that time, you know, when it left me standing in the street? <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's, it's really actually quite funny when I'm reading it, but you know, the first thought that they had was, no, Rhoda, you're crazy. And then they thought it was his guardian angel. 
Now, when we're reading this story, you know, one, one thing that's absent is Luke doesn't make any kind of harsh or critical comments about the church and how they responded. In fact, I think the way that they responded is exactly the way I would respond. I think I would respond in astonishment that something like that, like that had happened. I bet all of us as a church would respond in astonishment because that's a natural response. But I think it's really important for us to differentiate between shock, which they experienced, and unbelief. Shock or astonishment is a natural response of our minds trying to grasp experiences that blast right through our normal. And this was it. (laughs) This was an experience that blasted right through their normal. Now, unbelief is choosing to close our minds and our souls when we are challenged to stretch ourselves spiritually as God through His Spirit speaks and works. You know, Mark wrote that when Jesus visited his hometown in Nazareth, he said he could, do, he could not do any miracles there except to lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. God responds to faith. And he also responds to unbelief. That's why Jesus kept on teaching and challenging his followers to keep exercising and growing their faith in him. You know what? I hope that we will never completely cease to be astonished by God because there is always more of God for us. And then we see in this story, and as Michael's going to pick it up next week, (laughs) Herod gets his, and the church keeps moving on and growing. So in conclusion this morning, you know, it's been eight years now that I've been part of Grand Prairie Alliance Church as one of your leaders here. We've experienced some changes and challenges. One of the things that we experienced a number of years ago was growing pains. And as we were going through that, we we ran out of room with our children's ministry. And in fact, when I first came here, our junior high youth, we called it the glass class. Uh, That was the uh, south vestibule. Uh, that was where they were holding their, their, their Sunday school class. And we had no space for our youth. And so in the middle of a downturn of our economy, just like when we built this built part of the building, we followed the, the vision to, to expand our facility and to build more children's wing to provide a place for our youth to, dro- to grow and to learn. And you know what? It was a blessing because God pulled together all of us as a church. Uh, we are... We are now almost at the place that we were financially uh, before we began the project. Our mortgage is uh, quickly approaching that point again. And so I'm, I believe God is going to be helping us to just pay that down. And we don't know what the next plans are as far as our facilities. You know what? Something else is that we struggled for a while to put feet to our vision. And a number of us, we churned away for a number of years. And w- there was some tension within the congregation. We knew that. Some of you talked with us about it. We felt that. We were praying and we, we were seeking God for how, how do we make our vision clear? How do we draw and invite people into it? And in fact, some people left during that time. You know, it's kind of hard talking about the, 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 the things that aren't so successful, isn't it? During a financial downturn in Alberta and in our GPAC finances, you know, we, our last three years, in the beginning of the month of July, we went through a $100,000 deficit. 
$150,000 deficit. Three years ago, we were at a $250,000 deficit at the beginning of July. So I'm managing the finances and my heart is racing. But you know what? Each of those years, God, through you, enabled us to meet the challenge of the finances. And, and I am praying right now, and in fact, one of the things I pray is, God, what on earth are you doing? Because right now, financially, I think he's setting us up for the directions that he has been inviting us. We are in a financial position right now that we have not been in. And it is in a positive position. And I believe that God is, is providing for us, not to say that when we're doing things right, then God automatically will make us wealthy. He'll provide for all of our... No. But I believe that we need to be seeking God right now. And I would ask you to be praying. God, what next? Why are you doing this? Why have we got a, a surplus like we've never experienced before? I think he's got great things in store for us. We have been moving along the line of a fresh vision. Not a different vision, just a fresh vision. We call it changing hearts and changing lives. And it's a journey into deeper obedience and following God and hearing him guide us and speak to us and responding to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and then through our lives into this city and into the world around us. And, and exciting things are, are on the horizon for us. We've got some exciting plans for corporate prayer. We're not quite ready yet for jumping into some of those things. Our first step right now is hearing God. We've been talking about it. I'm excited about it. People are getting trained to get ready for it. And we as a body are just planning and preparing to step into what the Spirit is leading us to. We're going to face challenges. We're going to have times where the pressure is on. So I just want to close this morning by leaving a couple of questions with you. The first question is this. Lord, what am I willing to give or give up for you? What is God asking of you? What is God asking of us? My second question is, is my life and my church about me? Or am I part of something much bigger? Think about that. It'll blow your mind if you start looking at what God's doing. And the last one is, what am I, or am I going to, are we going to ex exercise our faith through prayer in a limitless God, or am I going to do it on my own? What will our story look like when it's written five years from now, ten years from now, or when we're standing with Jesus when we meet him face to face and we look back? What will our story look like?